Don't know if you heard about the burglary, broke into the house, had his hands on the iPad, computer, could steal the television. All of a sudden, you heard a little voice from the corner saying, Jesus is watching you. He's like, what? And really thought the place was empty. Pulls out his flashlight, looks around the corner, and there in the corner is a parrot. And he says to the parrot, did you say that? And the parrot says, yes, I'm trying to warn you. He says, warn me? What are you talking about? And he goes, by the way, who, who warned me about what and who are you? And he goes, my name is Moses, the parrot said. Moses? What kind of crazy people would name their parrot Moses? And the little parrot said, the same kind of crazy people that named their 150-pound Rottweiler Jesus or Moses. <laughs> I might have got that backwards. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, hey, have you ever been in a situation where you wish you had an upgrade? Just kind of like, man, I could use an upgrade right now. This would be really awesome. Yeah, people love upgrades. I, I went online, Googled, you know, crazy upgrades. Look at this couple of upgrades that people buy for their pets. Just a couple of upgrades. Look at this. Hey, it's not good enough to have a cage. It's got to be like an end table cage, you know, for little Fluffy. How about the next one? Let's, uh, let's, our cat needs exercise, so this is a patio for the calico. A patio, backyard calico workout area, upgraded. How about this one? next one? Uh, upgrade $350,000 doghouse by Paris Hilton. She built for her, she, you, the human could actually stand in that door. That's what the, how big that thing is. So, because uh, it's not good enough just to have a dog house. And lastly, you got to have a sofa for your dog, you know, in the house. It's just not, you got to have it upgrades. Upgrades, people love upgrades. Did I, did, did I just tell you this morning, the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you received an upgrade. You received options for an upgrade. You received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally gives you nine different upgrades. Come on. You have nine upgrades available to you through the Holy Spirit. Some would call it the fruits of the Holy Spirit, thus the fruits on the stage here. Upgrades, the fruits of the Spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. So, uh, let me, in fact, I'm just going to bring it down to um, the last couple of verses, 22 and 23, but the, in the New King James Version, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. In fact, say this with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Everybody say love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. These are what we call the fruits of the Spirit. And they come from the Holy Spirit. They come from the person of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of you when you ask him to come into your life. And I believe that God expects everyone to take these upgrades. I mean, you would be a fool not to take the upgrade. Why do you want to sit in coach when you can be in first class? Come on, somebody. You can have the upgrade. All you have to do is just, just give yourself to it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 it says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, what you bear is what we know of you. And everyone will bear two different kinds of fruit. Fruit of the flesh or fruit of the spirit. 
One fruit you have to crucify and one fruit you have to cultivate. We, both, we have both of those things available to us. But a fruit, you have to understand, a fruit just doesn't, um, a fruit tree doesn't work to make fruit. You know what I'm saying? I, was a, I, I lived on a farm and my dad worked for a tree nursery and uh, it, he, would, he bring, brought home, all the time he's bringing home apple trees. And we had apple trees, we had some peach trees, we had some pear trees, but mostly apples, surrounded our house. Our house was just nothing but a little building in the middle of an orchard, <laughs> is what it ended up being. And I did a lot of the planting, I did a lot of the spraying, I did a lot of the cultivating. And I spent a lot of time around these apple trees there on that property. And I will promise you that of all my time there working with these trees, I never came across a tree as I walked by and I never heard this noise coming from the tree. Make an apple, make an apple. You know what I'm saying? Fruit trees don't work at making an apple. They don't work at making fruit. It just sits there, absorbs the sun, absorbs the moisture, and it just naturally produces what it was made to produce. Isn't that good news? And when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you just naturally begin to produce that which is naturally inside of you. The characteristics, see, the fruits of the Spirit are the characteristics of Jesus. When you, when you say, well, I wonder what Jesus was like. Well, we just told you nine clarifications of what Jesus was like. Every one of those nine things was what Jesus was like. And, but religion would say, you got to work at love, and you got to work at producing joy, and you got you to you conjure up peace, and you got to bear down and become kind, and you know, you got to somehow figure out how to be good. I, no, I want you to know if you are just love Jesus, uh, and you just invite that relationship with the Holy Spirit to be an ongoing relationship, where you are conversing with the Lord all the time. And it's not just a conversation with God before you go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord. No, this is, it's a relationship with God. When you have this ongoing relationship with God, then you naturally begin to produce fruit. And guess what? Fruit is meant to be enjoyed. In fact, if you read in the book of Galatians, it says you are to... Uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2 says, God says to Adam, he says, look, I'm going to put you in this garden and I'm going to, it's, it's going to be just filled with all sorts of stuff. And he says this, and the Lord commanded the man, he commanded, you are free to eat from any fruit or any tree in the garden. It goes on to say, but there's one tree you can't. And, and we always spend our time talking about that one tree that he couldn't. But we forget that there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of trees available for him to eat from all the time. And what the Lord wants, invites us to do is he invites us into this journey with him and asks us, hey, you know what? I've given you a lot of things. I just want you to, you know, eat some fruit and enjoy life. Come on. And, and you eat. You produce what you are. Come on. This is, you want some? 
feel that? Well, that was good. It really is good. You become what you eat. Is, that, is there a book like that, something like that? Probably is. But God called us, as I swallowed, God calls to eat nine fruits of the Spirit, these characteristics of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He, in fact, Psalmist said, taste and see, not look and listen, touch and feel. No, taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat of the fruits of the Spirit. God is just waiting for you to tap in to what is already inside of you through Jesus Christ. So the first fruit uh, or the upgrade that we were looking at just a moment ago was the fruit of love. It's a great word, love. We all love the word. There's lots of songs about love, lots of poems about love, stories about love. But love in the English language, if you were to define it, doesn't do it justice. I mean, I can say in one sentence, I love pizza, and in the second sentence say, I love my wife. And you're like, pizza, wife, that, wow, that's really kind of weird. And the connotation would be the implication that, you know, the same love you have for your wife is the same love you have for pizza, and that, how many know, is not true. But the Greek language kind of goes further, which is the language the New Testament was written in, and defines I love a little bit better for us. In fact, they have three different words for love. One would be the Greek word eros, where we get the word erotic from. It's a sexual type of love. The second kind is called phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia from. It's brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's that love you have for a brother, sister in the Lord, or a friend. And then the third definition of love is the word agape. And it's a God kind of love. If you don't know Jesus, you cannot experience agape love. Mm. It's really what we would call unconditional love, where you love someone no matter what the conditions are, no matter what they can offer you or what they can't offer you. In fact, I would give you a definition. It's a demonstration of my commitment to someone that is shown by how I act towards them, whether I have the feelings of that or I don't have the feelings. It's not based on feelings. It is an action of goodness towards someone else. It's called love. I know someone had mentioned uh, the fact that this lady, she, she was actually complaining to her pastor and was wanting to know if her and her husband that she had married 15 years ago could come in to his office and have some marriage counseling. He said, well, not a problem. They came and the pastor said, what seems to be the problem? She goes, the problem is my husband, who I married 15 years ago, will not, he, he, does, he doesn't love me. He goes, that's not true. She goes, it is true. And they begin to argue back and forth. She goes, you don't love me. And you never tell me you love me. And the farmer stood up and goes, that's not true. She says, it is true. He said to the pastor, the farmer did, pastor, the thing is this. But the day we got married, I told her I loved her. And if anything changes, I'll let her know. But love is an ongoing action, and it's an ongoing affection. 
In fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, a passage you may hear read at a wedding, he gives us definitions. In fact, I'm going to define it for you as the way he would define it in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to repeat these words to me. In fact, it would be great to go home and rehearse this passage and use your number, your name, excuse me, your name, whenever you read this passage. So say it like this. Everybody uh, say, I'm going to say love is, and you say what I say. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil. Rejoices in the truth. Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. I mean, who wouldn't want to be around somebody like that? That's love right there. That's love. That's love. Come on, let's give, give the Lord a hand for that gift of love. Come on, can we do that? God is love. Now, I want to just take a few minutes, and I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Like, I didn't know there was an elephant in the room. Well, this is Alabama. They have elephants in places you never imagined. <laughs> I want to talk about what we've been seeing a little bit in the news. Now, I don't feel like I have to do this other than the fact I'm talking about love, which kind of makes me want to talk about this. You've been tuning into your television the last couple of weeks, and you've been seeing some things that break your heart, and it breaks mine. And I want to talk about love in regards to racism for a few minutes. All right, can we do that? Yeah. Let's just have a honest conversation. Now, you may say, I am not a racist person, so... Whatever they're doing, you know, whatever's going on, let them just do what they're thinking. I'm not a racist person. But I'm going to just challenge that thought and say, congratulations, I'm glad you're not racist. But just to say you're not racist is not good enough. It's not good enough. Love hates racism, and love says... I am anti-racist. In fact, we just read it a few moments ago. Love does not dishonor others. If I, if I were to say to my children, listen, kids, I hate disrespect. I despise anything dealing with disrespect. They'd be, okay, cool. And then my son or my daughter at the dinner table shoots off and says something very disrespectful to their mother, my wife, I could simply go, well, wow, that wasn't very nice what they said, but I'm glad I'm not disrespectful. Now, if I operated like that, my children would begin to assume that perhaps it's okay to be disrespectful. No, but if I am anti-disrespectful, I jump in and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't talk to your mama, my wife, like that. How many, how many have ever had a conversation with your children similar to that one? I can say, I'm not a child abuser all day long. 
And I can even walk down a street and see a child being abused. And I can proudly keep walking down the road and say, I'm glad I'm not a child abuser. But that's not good enough, according to the story of the Good Samaritan. You got to stop and you have to become anti-child abuser. You got to step in and you got to call it out and you got to address the issue. Come on, somebody. Because love isn't a word, love is an action. I said, love is an action. Rioting is wrong. Looting is wrong. Throwing bricks into windows is wrong. Stealing things that are not yours is wrong. Burning police cars is wrong. Protesting is right. Speaking up is right. It's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't go too far. But I'm telling you, love is an action. And love says this. It says, I need to understand what you are feeling. And so I did that. And I have been doing it. I've tried to keep my feeling, my thoughts to myself lately and for a while. But I called some of my black pastor friends who I love dearly, who I would invite in a heartbeat to stand right here and preach for you. And I would not think twice about it. I love them dearly. And I called them, I said, can we talk? Can I talk about this issue? They said, absolutely. I said, I need you to talk to me. What am I missing? What's going on that I'm not getting? And if you could say something that, that you could never say or haven't said to anybody else, or if you could be gut honest, this is when I want you to be gut honest. What is it? You, is there something to this? Is this just a bunch of hoopla? Is this is a bunch of people just being angry, just upset, uptight, and just, you know, is there something, or is there really down there something that I'm missing? And all of my pastor, black pastor friends, to my amazement, said, no, there really is something to this. I said, really? Absolutely. I think one of my pastor friends said it best. He says, you know, JP, here's how I see it. All lives matter. All lives absolutely matter. But he said, my people have just kind of gotten the short end of the stick. That's what he said. Now, you know, I could stand there and I could show them facts and pie charts and bar graphs and statistics and argue with them how that doesn't make sense and that's not true and here's you know what you have an advantage of that others perhaps don't I can do whatever I can say all those kind of things that I would like to say but it still doesn't do away with the fact that that's the way they feel or that those people felt and I'm not saying everybody and there's others that doesn't don't feel that way at all but my friends said that there have been things that have happened in their life that have caused wounds that they don't ever say anything about to anybody. And it's just, they just, you know, chalked it up to this is the society I live in. But if you were to get really honest with them and give them an opportunity to share, are there some things that have happened that have hurt you? They would say yes. Yes. And guess what? I will be the first to tell you I have contributed to that myself. And can I say the church world has contributed to that? 
My personal experience, I was in the fifth grade. And I had been taught as a good Christian boy to, to lead people to Jesus, to invite them to the Lord. And if, you, if they don't want to come to Jesus, at least invite them to church. You know, Come to church with you. That was the, that was the drill to my, just bring them to church. So I was sitting in fifth grade next to Daryl Chapman, my black a friend, he, he was one of the pitchers on our baseball team. He's in my class. He's a great athlete. And I've been working on Daryl, didn't know Jesus. He, he was lost, as, as, you know, in the, even in the fifth grade. You can imagine how a person can be lost. He was lost. He was, he was lost. And, and so I, invi- I kept him, always inviting him to come to church. And one Wednesday night, we had, you know, a, a youth group. And I invited Daryl. And to my shock, Daryl said, I'm come. I'll come. I'll, I'll come. I said, really? And so I made all the arrangements. We'll pick you up at 6 o'clock and can't wait. It's good. I got home, got off the bus, ran into the house. Hi, Daryl Chapman's coming to church tonight. I'm so excited. Only to be informed. My, 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 now listen, I'm, this is not, I'm not throwing my mom under the bus, but this was the reality at that, in that day and time. She said, well, we, we, can't, we can't bring him. I said, Why? And she said, because our, our church doesn't, our church looks down on black people. So she said, I'm in fifth grade. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was some stupid joke she was playing. I said, That's, that is funny. She goes, son, I'm being serious. If he comes, people will stare at him. People will look down at him. And people perhaps will talk about him. And some people could be bold enough to say that he needs to leave. I said, you're kidding me. I'm in the fifth grade. I said, who would do that? That's, that's not Christ. She goes, I know it's not Christ, but that's, that's the church we're in. I said, well, I don't think that's right, and I think that's wrong. And, and, I, made a, and, and I said, what do you expect me to do about that? And she, and she said, well, you're going to have to call him and tell him he, he can't come. I said, are you, are you kidding me? And that's what I had to do. I had to call my friend Daryl and tell him he couldn't come to our white church. And that was my first introduction to racism in my life, in the church. I was introduced to racism in the church. The most segregated time of the week in America is this moment right now. You got black churches and you got white churches. And I never will forget that conversation I have with Daryl. And there is no doubt that Daryl suffered a wound from me, a Christian young boy in the fifth grade. And perhaps that was his first introduction to racism. I don't know. But his wound came from me. Me. I've gone on in my life and never really thought much about it until recently. And I think it's time I find my friend Daryl and apologize for causing a wound that, that he didn't need to bear. Tony Evans, black pastor, Baptist Church in Dallas, one of my favorite preachers I love to listen to, and he shares a story how himself has to teach his children what to say to a, a police officer if they're ever pulled over. 
and how to conduct themselves. Now listen to me. I've never had to tell my kids what to say if they're ever pulled over. I've never even thought about it. But there are brothers and sisters of ours who literally have to train their children how to respond if that ever happens to them. How many know that's just not right? You say whatever you want to say, that's just not right. Now we've come a long way through our history from where we used to be. But that doesn't mean it still doesn't exist. And if my brother feels like to some degree he's been marginalized, whether I agree with that or understand that or not, this make no, makes no difference. The fact is that's the way he feels and I must respect that and I must figure it out. Because that's what love does. Love doesn't go, well, just because you're, you know, if my kid came to me and said, you know what, Dad, I feel like, I feel like you like uh, Hannah and, and, and Judah more than you like me. I, I could say, well, that is ridiculous. And let me tell you how ridiculous that is. Do you remember when I did this for you and that for you and bought you this and took you there, blah, blah, blah? And I, now, don't you feel stupid for that? Or I could say, well, sweetheart, I'm sorry about that. Let's sit, let's sit in here and talk about this for a minute. And uh, let's figure this out because that's sure not what I want to ever communicate to you because that's what love does. I was, so this pastor, Tony Evans, was talking about how he enrolled in the seminary uh, in, 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 in Dallas and they said to him, well, we don't accept black people. Um, our, our donors would stop giving if they knew that we, um, uh, you know, we enrolled black people. So, but we kind of know it's probably not right to do that. So we'll do this. We'll, you can come to school and you're on probation. We'll just say you're on probation. That way we don't have to count you as an enrolled student. And so he spent his entire Christian education time period going through a school on probation because of the skin color. How many know that's not right? We can wink at it. We can say, oh, that's a bunch of uh, baloney that doesn't exist. I'm telling you, through the, throughout time, we have incurred and caused wounds that have hurt people unjustly. <laughs> William Seymour, the found, basically, if you would trace back the Pentecostal movement throughout the world, started with a one-eyed black man by the name of William Seymour. Who, who, who started a church in Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Chapel, began to be called the Azusa Street Revival. And William Seymour, this one-eyed black man, literally was used by God to introduce the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the world. But where did he get this revelation? He got it in a place called Topeka, Kansas. They were having a little Bible, they had a little Bible college in a house. And they, would, they were going through the book of Acts and uncovered this revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and William Seymour would sit on the front porch uh, leaning with the window open in through the window so he could hear the teaching because he was 
was a black man and black people weren't allowed to enter into their Christian white Bible college school that they had. And he couldn't even go in to get prayed for. He couldn't even go in to pray for anybody. This was the man that God was going to use to introduce the Holy Spirit baptism into the world. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He didn't get, you know, get some kind of a, a, a wad, you know, going. He just went to Los Angeles and began to preach what he heard through the window. And God so honored this humble man that throughout the world it caught fire and the whole world was touched by the power of a living God. There have been people who have suffered unjustly and have suffered quietly and never said a word about it. And we've gone on merry ways if nothing has ever happened just because they've never said anything about it. But if you ever had a conversation with someone, there may be something, there, there may be not. I know there's someone like, no, man, I've, God's been good, society's been good, I haven't had an issue. But there are some that that's not the story. And if there are some, then that's all I need to know because I need to address that issue. Martin Luther King said it, Jr. said it like this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. In other words, there's no them and us. It's all of us. And if one of my children is hurting, then I will go to the rescue of that hurting child and I'll ask questions later. How many know it's not our duty to judge, it's our duty to come to the rescue and go, what, why are you feeling bad? Let's talk about it. And let me tell you, you are loved and respected and valued in the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. But here's the deal, laws are not gonna remove racism, programs aren't gonna remove racism, systems are not gonna, rioting's not gonna remove. There, I, you, I was listening to the Canada's um, uh, prime minister talking about how riot, you know, racism is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, and all these reasons, it's wrong. And so they said, well, what's the solution? He goes, well, we don't have, we're studying it. <laughs> we're, we're, stud, we're studying it. In other words, that's what you say when you don't have a solution but you want to show compassion. I love what the Lieutenant Governor of Texas on national television, they were interviewing him, what his thoughts were about this whole, the rioting, the racism, all this. And if, if he ever runs for president, I'm electing him. At least I'm voting for him. I, I can't elect him, but I'll, I'll vote for him. He said this, he says, racism cannot be legislated. Racism, he said, can't be legislated because it's a heart issue. And he said, the only way you can change a heart, come on, national television, is through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. See, the answer is people must be touched by love. Love is what heals a wound. Love is what reaches down inside the cracks in the cracks of a person's soul and says, you know what? It's okay. I, 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 I may have been done wrong, but it's okay. I, I, I feel like you, you know me and you care for me and you love me. If Jesus would come along and he would introduce a new law. It wasn't a new commandment. It was a new law. It, the, the old Ten 
Commandments was, was doing away with. He says, I've come. He says, and I'm giving you a new command, a new command I give you. And here's the command, love one another. Well, how do we do that? And Jesus says, as I have loved you. And that, my friend, is the answer to racism. You love one another as I have loved you. So pastor, how does that work out in my life? How, how do I show love? I want to give you four quick ways to show love. And then we're going to watch a video. We're going to go home. Number one, love gives up freedoms for one another. Love gives up freedoms for one another. What does that mean? If making you feel valuable, my friend, means you go to the front of the line and I go to the back of the line, I'm going to the back of the line. I don't need to be first. I don't need to have this. I don't need to be that. I, what I need is for you to be healed. What I need is for you not to be marginalized. What I need is for you to feel respected and cared for. That's what I need. And if that means I need to decrease so you can increase, I'll decrease. If I need for you to become first, I'll be last. And that is the call for all of us. Can I just take us back into history with the Rosa Parks story where she refused to go to the back of the bus where the cattle, the black people were sent, the people that weren't really white, weren't good enough. They had to go sit in the back of the bus. And she knew in her heart that stuff. You don't judge me by my skin. My blood's the same color as your, your blood. I'm going to sit in the front like everybody else because I have dignity. And if there had been one person on that bus at that time who had been walking in the fruits of the Spirit, they would have got up and they would have said, Miss Rosa, you are perfectly correct. You take my seat. Me, the white guy, I'm walking to the back and going to sit with my bros. Enjoy your bus ride and there would have never been a riot but we just go through life thinking well this is the way things are not giving a hoot about someone's feelings we must care and if they feel marginalized I don't I can't do nothing but sit and listen and go how can I help you not feel this way and I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make you feel not that way not feel that way I'll give up our freedoms I'll give up whatever I got to give up number two Love makes sacrifices. Love makes sacrifices. I remember there was two little... <laughs> so I went to this school, I'm excuse me, church, full-time youth pastor, my first job as a full-time pastor. And I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh, this little church, it was a small little church, basically all white people. And it was a block away from a government subsidized housing complex, predominantly all black people. And so I was about three weeks on the job. It was Wednesday night, had prepared everything ready for the youth that night. We were going to meet and talk and stuff and after the worship service. And, and, um, 
And, but I went home a little early to get a little rest before I came back for the service that night. And I remember laying on my bed uh, that afternoon and the shades were pulled and I was laying there and going to take a little rest. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and he asked me a question. He says, how can you lay there and rest when they're a block away from where you're going to go teach about Jesus? There are hundreds of young people that don't know me. <laughs> I got up from my little bed, I put on my clothes, and I went two hours early to that little housing complex. And I started walking around, and I started playing games with all these black kids and everything. Hey, you like the color? Yeah, I like your color. Would you like to come to church with me and color? Well, yeah, yeah, let me ask my mom. So I'm talking to parents. By the time I got ready for church to start, I had 10 black little children and one little infant, like nine months old. She goes, here, take my little kid. You know, I'm like, so I don't even know how to, how do you walk with a baby? I was, I didn't know. I, I'm like, oh, come on, kids, come on. I'm like, like I had nitroglycerin in my arms, you know, I'm walking like this. And I remember walking into our little predominantly white church and you had to walk through the side of the church to get into the sanctuary and kind of goes right into the middle of the sanctuary. And I remember I got like this trail, like a little, like a, my little ducklings, you know, coming. And, I'm, and I, if eyeballs could pierce your back, I had holes all over me. Finally, someone took a, the little baby, would like to say, yes. And they took, thank God, and took the little baby to the nursery. And I set these little kids down through the worship service. And then we went to our class. And I'm telling you what, I, I got some pushback. I got, you know, people, I could there were some people just kind of murmuring, you know, what, we made a bad hire. What were we thinking when we brought this guy on? He's, he's going he's gonna to create a mess in our, in our, in our church, and, but I did it anyway. Amen. A couple of those kids ended up becoming good friends of mine. And I, would, I would take them to youth and everything, but, but I'll never forget those sacrifices. And, 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 and here's the deal. Here's, here's the beautiful thing. I remember, I don't know, it was 15 years later, I guess now, I'm not sure, time, I was passing through that town, and um, I thought, I want to go back memory lane. Have you ever done that? Just, yeah, I want to go back memory lane, just, this is, I've done that, but this is where I used to this, and then your kid's like, I don't care, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, I want to go to the beach, all right? And I'm coming by, and, and so I stopped by, and there was a, like, there was a little church, this long shotgun looking, and then we had the old youth, it was the, anyways, when the youth met, and there was some kids going in and out of the youth building that afternoon, and there was a black young man standing there at the door, letting the kids in, and like he was kind of supervising them, and, um, and uh, so I went up, and I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, fine. And I said, well, will you, you work here? He goes, yeah, I'm I'm kind of work here part time. I'm studying to be a minister, and and um, I work with the kids here and stuff. And this is my church. And I said, "Oh, that's so cool." I said, "Well, tell me, man, how did, have you been going to this church for a while?" He goes, "Well, you know, man, it's a crazy story." He said, um, "I've been coming here since I was a little kid." I said, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah." He says, "You know, it was really weird. Um, I was lived right down there, a block away, and and." When I lived down, there was this white guy that came down, and he, he like, 
took me and some of my friends to this building, and I've never stopped coming to this building since. And, and now I'm studying for the ministry. Come on. And now I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel of the, of the, of the Lord. <laughs> love makes sacrifices. Mm. Number three, love gets near people of different color or different race or different um, maybe um, financial backgrounds, maybe poor or rich or whatever, and becomes friends. Because proximity is not friendship. Just because you work with someone that's a black person or a Hispanic person or whatever, or you're black and you work with a white person, proximity is not the issue. Is are you friends? I mean, are you, are you together, locked in? Are, are you, do you know him? Do you know her? Do you, are you, forget, the, forget the proximity. Are you friends? You have to be friends with people that are different than you, people of different financial status of you, people of different color of you, people of different languages of you. You, you must become friends. When you look at Jesus' life, he, his life was just filled with people of all sorts of things, different colors, different races, different religions, different jobs. One was a fisherman, one was a tax collector, one was a, a trader, one was a, a, you know, a, a bully, one was what, different types of people. They all followed. Jesus because there's something about love that just doesn't look at what the other people look at. It goes way deeper than that. And, and, and if, you, if, you, if you really love, then you become friends with people of all sorts of backgrounds and races. So we had these two little boys in my youth group and I started bringing them to church. And two black boys, David Hope, Chris Hope. They came from a family that didn't know who their father was, their mother just eked out a living. They lived literally in a, a trash hole. They had, their furniture was just, it was something not even fit for, you know, for the trash can. It was just, and so I would pick them up and I would pick them up for youth group. I'd pick them up for church. I'd take them home. They were with me after church. We, everybody would go get something to eat, and I'd have Dave, and I'd have Chris, and I'd pay for them. And I didn't have money myself to pay for Harley for my meal, but I always pay for theirs as well. And, and I hauled them all over. I took them to camps, and I took them to retreats, and, and, I, and I just hung out with them. And, and, and there came this point where I had to, where God was moving me on. I knew you know, my days were numbered now at this place. And so I, I pulled Chris and David. I took them to a park. We threw the football. I set them down. I said, hey, listen, guys, I got to share something with you. I said, I hate to tell you this, but um, I, I got to move, and I'm moving. And it was as if a, a grand piano had fallen on the head of these two kids. And they looked at me with shock. And remember, Chris said, you can't go, Pastor JP. I said, well, I, 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 got, I got to go. He said, but if you go, who will be our father? Who will be our father? I said, well, God, God will figure that out. Just keep loving Jesus. I did my best to stay in touch, but we just kind of lost touch after a while. 
eventually found out that both of them were in and out of jail. Oh, my wife and I were living up in Massachusetts at this time, get a phone call. It was from David Hope, one of the boys. He called me, Pastor JP, you remember me? This is David Hope. Whoa, what? What's going on? Tell me your story. What's going on? I'm married, got two kids. I'm a computer programmer. Just got, got out of the military. My wife's in the military. I said, what? That's great, man. I said, fill me in. What took place when I left to then? He said, um, well, I got in jail, got in trouble, started stealing some things. And he said, you know what? I, I just had, came to a point where I just didn't care. I didn't care about what people said, didn't care about what people thought. I just, whatever I wanted, I was going to get it, whatever consequences. And he said, I was sitting in my jail cell one day. And I've been in and out of jail, I don't know how many times at this point. And I was sitting there in my jail cell. And I had this thought. It was just a thought. I said, what's that, boss? He said, the thought was, if JP really meant what he said when he said, God's got great plans for you. And if JP really could believe in me, then maybe I should believe in myself. So he said, I decided I was going to try. I was going to try to study. So they had an in-the-jail GED program. I, I enrolled and I studied hard. And I got my GED. I kind of started enjoying it and saw that I was pretty good at it. And I started helping my other inmates get their GEDs. And then I kept, started tutoring different kids. And then I enrolled in college right there and, and, and and started beca- I was, became the librarian of the school, of the jail and everything, and started getting liberties and started finding out I was a, kind of a leader. And I got out of jail and eventually got a really good job after I got my degree from college. And, and, and all I can say is, God's blessed me, JP. And I just want to call you and say, thank you. Thank you for being my friend. It's not good enough to live in proximity of people of different races or colors or financial statuses. We must become their friends. That's what love does. And lastly, number four, love empowers people. Let me help you not feel this way. Let me help you operate a computer. Let me help you show, uh, let me show you how to interview for a job. Let me help you study for this test. Let me show you how to get a loan for a car or for a house. Let me jump into your life and help you move out of this situation and into a better situation because that's what love does. Love empowers. If you want to go to camp, okay, let's work it. Let's get a job. Let's find out how we can get some money. I'm not going to give you the money. I'm going to empower you to get some money. Come on. We're going to empower you. We're going to show you how to do it and make you a better person in the process. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, we are caught in an inescapable web of mutuality 
tied in a single garment of destiny. And listen to this. Whatever affects one directly affects everyone indirectly. We are in a web. We're all tied together. And we have this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, love, that flows out of us. And do you know how many people are in dire need of love? It's amazing how many people there are. Do you know how it changes their lives when they're touched by it? It's amazing how it changes their lives. Love. I want to show us a video. I just want to remind us through this video that we are connected to the world through the love of Jesus, through his grace. And that it doesn't matter what our skin color is, our languages are, our backgrounds, where we've come from, what we know or don't know. We are bound together by love. Come on, let's go ahead and watch this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for all of us. When you hung on that cross, You said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You shed your blood. You poured out your life. You showed us what love looks like. Father, if there's anything in our hearts we have hurt and wounded someone, we ask you to reveal it to us to help make it right. Give us ears to hear what people are feeling, maybe not even saying. Forgive us for being quick to judge and make opinions and yet have never been where they're at. Father, I pray this church becomes a church that looks like the world. Hispanics and blacks and whites, Asians, (laughs) filled with people from all types of backgrounds, atheists, homosexual, transgender, Muslim. It doesn't matter, God, What matters is that people are touched by the love of Jesus that flows from our lives. So we humbly ask you, Heavenly Father, to make us that people. People that heal wounds. People that care, people that love. Can we sing that song together? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a 
someone just like me, Lord. Help me, God. Help me to love the unloved. commandment I give to you. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. Mm. They'll know we are Christians. How? By our love. That's how they know. It's our love. It's an incredible gift of love. What an incredible gift we've been given called love be able to show kindness and affection towards someone that maybe I don't even know, someone has treated me even wrong. The love of God passes all understanding. Well, so I want to give you, before we dismiss, a little homework. Before we dismiss, let me tell you, we have a prayer tent outside as you leave. If you need prayer about anything, we want to pray with you, love to pray with you. Absolutely delighted. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. This is the time we just encourage you to go out that tent, just grab someone and say, man, I just want to pray. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. But here's your assignment. Your assignment this week is I want you to find someone different than you. And I want you to make it a point to become their friend someone different than you. I said someone different than you. It could be a, a black man reaching down to a white young boy. Poor, doesn't have a chance. It could be a white lady reaching to a Hispanic woman, helping her figure out how to buy groceries. It could be a white man reaching to a black man's life and saying, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. Are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Because this is what love does. We can talk about love all day long, but you have to make it a point to change it. We are the salt of the earth. Salt doesn't have any effect unless it touches something. You gotta touch something. 
for that thing that you touch to be effective. So this week, the challenge is I'm going to show love to someone not like me. How many are ready to accept that challenge this week? Come on, you got it? You got it? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time together. Thank you that you're making us a people that loves and cares just the way you did. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, we may not be able to solve all the problems, but we can change a few. And we thank you that you're going to help us do that through your love. We leave, Lord God, with your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give Jesus one more hand of praise? God bless you. Amen. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget Wednesday night Bible study on Facebook. Monday night prayer. God bless. See you this afternoon.